Hi all, welcome to another episode in the Leading Safely podcast. I have a special treat for you. As you know, I'm speaking at the annual Community of Human and Organisational Learning Conference in Portsmouth, Virginia in just over a month's time. So I've been reaching out to other speakers and I have a special guest episode with these trailblazers locked and loaded, ready to go. This episode is one of those. In this episode, I'm chatting with the amazing Lauren Mooney. A former ED nurse and hospital supervisor, Lauren saw firsthand the system approach to uncertainty and the unexpected impacted outcomes. She went looking for the best strategies and became hooked on high reliability organising and translated the hallmarks to nine questions to make it easier for beginners to understand. Lauren believes, though, that most organisations will get stuck on their journey unless everybody knows it's safe and always worthwhile to speak and leaders really listen. So she's spreading the message, change the conversation first, and believes that only then will everything else get easier. Lauren is the innovator of the speaking in strategy for leaders who realise that speaking up does not work and leaves people powerless to learn. It's a great concept, and I hope that you will gain as much from this chat as I have. Hi, Lauren. Thanks very much for taking time out of your morning over there, I take it, to meet with me on the Leading Safely podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day, so thanks for joining in. But as you know, I ask all of my special guests for health and safety-related questions, and that first one is around leadership, and what do you think makes an effective leader when it comes to health and safety? Okay, well, thank you for having me. Happy to be up at this beautiful morning um, to share. Okay, what makes an effective health and safety leader? I think it really starts with the assumptions um, and the attitudes that you're working with around how people work and how complex systems work. And I Mm -hmm. think an effective health and safety leader works with the assumptions that cause them to say, I've got to go out and ask the right questions, uh, starting with the front line. So, and the number one being positioning, how can I be helpful? <laughs> so uh, versus how can I bring you uh, more hard work? Um, what do you we need to what do you need to do this job well? And what do we need to eliminate? So really like a, a servant safety professional, but mm-hmm. also someone who can facilitate or co-create change across the organization, realizing they have power that that the frontline doesn't. Hopefully we are granted some power by the those those leaders. Yeah, and the other, so I think about it this way, a safety leader, it starts with the heart. And I think a caring and humble heart is what really pushes forward that curiosity to learn. And then really big ears. I, I, I picture this, I make this little body up. So, cause you really gotta listen. And we've been stuck in like telling, I'm gonna tell you how to do it safely. So. Yeah, a little hard and those listening ears, you know, eyes that really see the big picture so you can understand the pressure from the front line to the boardroom and even by beyond, right? So all the pressures crushing in on, on safety. And then a backbone, a backbone to stand up because <laughs> <laughs> the stakes are very high and everyone in the organization for, for the good of the people and the business will need safety leaders to take a stand because they are uniquely positioned to see how factors are coming together that you know maybe the top or the bottom of the organization can't see um and then yeah hands ready to help so uh that's how i view a safe effective safety leader oh that's actually really lovely i think i could almost visualize it you do need a little cartoon figure that you know so this is what it looks like that would be great 
almost yeah. a new idea for you. And oh. obviously in your career, you've come across, I'm sure, those people that have been stuck in their ways and not wanting to make that positive health and safety change. And what kinds of words of wisdom or, you know, what, what would you say to those that are dealing with those people that are stuck in their ways? Mm. Okay, yeah, so stuck. Well, first I'd say let's talk about let's talk about your history and your relationship with safety and you know either there's some sort of uncover uh, a fear of like moving forward is going we're going to lose somehow, right? Or what are we actually gaining by being stuck? So there's something under there that that we have to get deeper. And then really it's easy to stay stuck when we don't look forward and say you know where is this taking us if we don't fix this where mm -hmm. are we going to be how many more accidents and people are we going to lose in the next year and five years and then just taking yeah taking out that mirror and starting to really reflect and say what what is keeping me stuck is it you know is it how i think about the world or maybe i just we just don't have a plan and we haven't had the courage to to ask for outside help yet yeah. and that on the other side of stuck are good things and you have to somehow help people see where you might head. Um, what, what is it gonna look like if we we can go home at night knowing everybody's prepared to speak, everybody feels empowered to stop the line or, um, yeah. and that you have equipped, equipped your people because anyone working in complex work has to go home at the end of the day and say, did, did, we, did we leave that place, you know, in, in good yeah. shape, I think I think really is finding the motivation, and that's a that's yeah. a deep conversation, and it and there's a lot of feelings and sometimes some really, you know, past experiences that 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 are blocking. So, kind of a therapy. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> What's that? It's kind of a therapy thing. <laughs> it is a kind of a therapy. I think it's also a little bit sales related because obviously when you're visualizing, you know, that future thing. I remember hearing real estate agents talk about, you know, if they start talk, if, you know, the buyer starts talking about where they're going to place furniture or they're, they're visualizing their future in that house, then it means they've bought it, you know, basically. So yeah. it's kind of like that in the safety world. If you can visualize where you're going to be and what that looks like, then, you know, potentially you, you've already moved, you know, towards it. So. That's a great thing to have. And then this is always an interesting question and it brings up some very uh, curious and interesting answers from everything from like zapping people to riskometers and all sorts of fun things. So if you were given as much resources and as many dollars as you needed to create an invention that would solve a workplace health and safety issue, what would you invent and why? Okay. So I have two answers to this. So the, okay. it's funny because I, I actually bounced this off a friend and he's an engineer and he he had an engineering answer because he was going to build a machine. <laughs> but me, <laughs> yeah. And um, it's funny because his machine is going to talk about two of the outcomes that um, would come from my pill. But like my mother would rather have it be a supplement. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but a pill that we took to suddenly make us really care, care about the experience of everyone in the organization. You know, there's plenty of middle managers who are also having really lousy days at work, uh, not yeah. just the line, especially in healthcare, oof. Um, so a pill that would make me care, but also immediately make me see what was happening that was not fair at work. Because once it is that this, when things aren't fair, people, sense it and they immediately disengage they're like i don't like this i don't like you something doesn't set well so 
if we could take the care and fair pill, the outcome in the organization would be people would feel safe to tell some truth and well, we build trust and we could get to the truth because honestly, if we can't get to the truth, then we can't. And I know we could go into a big philosophical of what is truth, but we won't go there. But if <laughs> we could get people telling the truth, we could really start to find the problems that are underneath the repetitive uh, issues. So that's my uh, care and fair generating uh, trust and truth Appeal. pill. Mm-hmm. But um, instead, it, because I could not do that, I did invent a model um, okay. after much seeking to bring to the workplace what I think is missing and to address where I think most organizations are experiencing their greatest risk. So mm-hmm. we do all this risk assessment and we have, you know, looked at the hinges on the door and the, <laughs> okay. Um, yep. But meanwhile, we have organizations, and this came from looking at 353 cases of severe medical harm. Um, Mm -hmm. And as I looked at it, because I had like a beginner's eyes, I saw these patterns, and maybe this will resonate with the safety folks out there that, you know, yes, sometimes people, you know, have a slip or a lapse and and we have a problem. But what I saw in these uh, cases were these challenges that are universal to complexity. And what I saw is like, what do you know? They just didn't see it. I call it the ons. Okay, it went on. Uh, something went unseen. Then, mm-hmm. oh, they did see it, but it was unclear. Or, mm-hmm. well, you know what? Something came along and it was unstable. It was variability, as we would call it, and it was bigger or smaller or faster than either the system or the people could handle. Next, I saw things going unspoken, and um, two really prominent doctors from Boston will say that they have never ever investigated a case of a case of patient harm where somebody knew something but could not find their voice and the clock ran they said it's it's absolutely present in every case however besides thing going unspoken sometimes people do speak right and then it falls on those deaf ears and goes unheard after that i had uh things were untimely and then finally a lot of unimagined wow we never saw things coming together in this way But as I looked at these challenges, um, I realized that if we can solve the unspoken and the unheard, we will be able to deal with all of the other challenges so much more easily. And that essentially employee silence and leaders not listening when people do speak are absolutely the elephant in the road. I don't care what journey you're on. You know, you can say I'm on a hop journey. I'm on a lean journey. I'm on a high reliability journey. If you if you cannot remove the silence and the and the dismissal and failure to listen, you're, you're pretty much stuck. And um, if you could see me, which you can, but I have a big elephant in a road behind me in my mm-hmm. office. So I said, how are we going to get around this employee silence? And the scary part is there's now 256 factors that affect whether people speak or not. So I had this like existential crisis because I said, well, it's too complicated. We're never going to have safe and reliable care mm-hmm. because we're never going to get people to speak. But then I said, well, what if like we could find something more compelling? And I remember I was on my front porch and I just said, you know what it is? The model, the speak up model or strategy is broken and it's just, it's not compelling enough. So I decided to create a new model, which I call speaking in. So mm-hmm. instead of the very passive and vague poster related hey speak up you know if you see something say something speaking in means that leaders are 
understanding, wow, we're in a lot of complexity. Our plans are not going to be sufficient. Two, we've got serious power dynamics that is nobody's fault. It's just how hierarchies work. And I'm going to have to take some responsibility for creating the environment where people feel free to say, to speak. So the speaking in model is about leaders and anyone in power. You can say, well, I'm not a leader. When you're in power, the person of power in the room, you're the leader. Yeah. And that could even be the valet at the hospital. When the elderly couple shows up, you're the leader. So yeah. um, the leader, person in power intentionally, uh, and we have to be intentional because if this was natural, it would already be happening. Intentionally including, meaning getting right people to the table, then inviting specifically, inviting, hey, hey, Sue, you know, you've helped us solve so many problems. It would really help me to hear your perspective. And then appreciating that gift of perspective from the other person because study uh, silence, a lot of times you find that, well, they did share, but nobody listens. So after a while, guess what? That that gift of knowledge dries up because it's the futility. It feels futile. So yeah, a speaking in is a baby model that just getting ready to test. It's all based on science. So I'm feeling uh, pretty confident and um, I'm hoping that it brings some hope. Uh, hope huh. that we, you know, create uh, not only will it be good for business because we can learn the truth about what we need to fix, but it's going to create someone who is contributing, someone who is aware that their perspective matters in, in order to um, achieve that important purpose of the organization. So business side and people side. It sounds like a really interesting model and I, I like the story behind it and going through the medical cases. Were there any that for you really, really stood out when you were doing your research on, you know, that, that silence kind of piece that, you know, really hit it home for you, particularly because you had come from that industry as well, where you thought if the situation had have been different, you know, if they hadn't spoken up, that patient, you know, the outcome may have been different. Oh, wow. You know, hmm. Okay. Right out of, right out of the blue comes a, uh, a gentleman who, who showed up to the ER, maybe three times and you know the act of showing up is it's like he was speaking and he was saying you know i i'm not okay you know something's wrong in my throat um mm -hmm. and three times being being sent away only to die of you know sepsis from a, a massive infection i mean that that really broke my heart Ooh, uh um that is a really let me let me think about this okay this 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 is a big one there was a, a young man who's 21 and he ended up having um, vomiting and, and uh, pain in his head. And he was transferred to a very, very respected medical center in Pennsylvania. And during, they did a CAT scan and they said, well, this is either an abscess or you have a tumor. And they oh, even wow. treated it the night before. Now listen, this is where speaking in would have worked wonderfully. The night before he's going to go to surgery, it's a, a nurse who's only been on the job for six months is caring for him. And as the night progresses, he's feeling worse. He's vomiting. She's calling the neurosurgeon at home. They're giving more and more meds. By seven in the morning, he had a fever. Um, and as he rolled out to the OR, the charge nurse who had been there all night, okay, mm -hmm. said, wow, he doesn't really look good. Well, he ended up dying in the OR um, they, after many hours of an infection in his brain. Now. The charge nurse never reached out to her young nurse to oh, say, hey, wow. yeah, 
And in the end, um, the family won the case because they had spent more time educating the nurse on how to apply for a vacation than how to escalate a concern. Oh. And, and it's a little complicated because neurosurgery was yeah. treated a little different. But what if the, what if her charge yeah. nurse had reached out and said, uh, took responsibility for, yeah. for seeing what's going? Yeah, wow. Well. Yeah. They're really high impact kind of cases then, aren't they, that help guide, you know, the way that you've created the model and, and what it can do. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a success with those unfortunate circumstances, but you, you needed those unfortunate circumstances to come to the learning, you know, and put the model together. Unfortunate as it is, yeah. you, know, you, did, you did need those learnings. Well, and you've, you've also looked at events and if you look back, right, some, somebody either, you know, there was always that weak signal and yeah. somebody noticed it and it's like, can, how can we just constantly, how can we create an environment where everybody, everybody knows it's always safe and worthwhile to share what they're noticing, right? Yeah. If we can, if, if leader and leaders are going to have to do it, there's just no way around it. <laughs> So yeah, um, no. what what might happen then is very exciting. That is that is an exciting question. And the last question is around, I guess, if you could go back to your younger self um, and give yourself some advice uh, on surviving and thriving in your career. Um, and you have had an interesting career, you know, that has led you to where you are today and creating this model and, and you, you know, you're about to test it. What kind of words, or, you know, of guidance and advice would you give to yourself to help you get through the next kind of, you know, critical period in your life? Be bolder and uh, just tolerate the uncomfortable part that comes with every step as you learn to progress in your career, knowing that it's really important and the stakes are high. It's a really, it's a, it's a high value thing we're doing. And I think because I love the name of your podcast working, you know, safely because it's, it, this isn't a separate back office thing. It's absolutely foundational to how we work and, and performance. So being bold, uh, stop overthinking. That's a personal thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, go and, and here's the thing, especially you're in the safety, you want everything to go perfectly, right? But yet if yeah. you're innovating, you have to tolerate imperfection. Yeah. And so like, I was like, well, is my message safe? <laughs> I had to, I put it out in front of a lot of uh, experts to say, you know what? I, I don't want to lead, lead anyone to harm with this, this message of speaking in. Um, and then also just, I think, in, realize that it's not about me and this is about serving and serving organizations um, and people and and creating a better workplace. You know, it's it's not it's way beyond someone didn't lose a finger. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it, I think the message has definitely gone beyond that now with where we are in the world and things. And I think that's a really great segue that leads into your wanting to change the world insights that you would like to provide with our, our listeners with, uh, you know, for the remainder of the, the episode. Um, did you want to share your insights around what you've learned and, you know, influencing and all the, the rest of it? Yeah. So, okay. So it, uh, it's 8.30 in the morning here. So I'm still still ready to change the world. We'll see. <laughs> okay. No worries. <laughs> No, you know, especially during COVID, well, you know, we had a burnout problem in healthcare before COVID. And then, uh, you know, COVID came, although I will tell you, I interviewed a nurse in Florida. My mom was the patient, but I, you know, I had to still be working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, she said, you know, 
they're throwing more money at me, but it's not going to be enough. Even though this was a pretty, pretty good system in general, they were. And I said, well, what would, what would you need to say? I really enjoy my job. And I'm and she, yeah. so interesting. She said, when we, well, when I worked in COVID and I would come in and I would get gowned up and I would go in to take care of a patient who was sick as a dog and I'd be in there for two hours. She said, but right behind that plastic sheet was my manager or people from other departments and they were right there ready to give me what I needed to do my job well. And I thought, hmm. okay. so even though it was so hard, the system responded in a way that caused you to uh, like be thriving in your work. So I often think of the healthcare workers and, and I'm sure it's that could be the same in mining and, and I don't want to just elevate healthcare yeah. here. But because of the way we work, what condition do we send people home in to be either a parent or a caregiver, maybe to an el to an elderly parent, right? Do we send them home at their absolutely wits end with no patience left, frustrated, can't read that bedtime story because I'm so angry at the mm -hmm. new oat policy that's going to help me, but not really. And I thought, you know, I like to think about the good things in work as a, as a broad category. So I say, you know, with every, I challenge leaders, with every decision you make, are you bringing more truth, freedom, and justice into your workplace? Because if you're not, you really need to consider what is this decision bringing into the workplace? And if we can create the good things, belonging, learning, safety, okay? That employee experience is, is so connected to your outcomes. So my, 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 what I really wish for the world is we could see the employee experience, not just as, wow, we can produce more of our purpose and we're, we're helping more feed more people or we're helping, you know, make cleaner gas, but we're possibly providing people with something they never experienced in their family, never they experienced in their community and never experienced in their country. So if we're looking at the world saying, well, you know, gee, it's not going well. Well, where are we going to find the beacon of, you know what? I do know what it's like to be, to be treated fairly. And that happened to me at work. So I also think it's not just as, oh, this sounds a little pie in the sky, but look at the power that leaders have because they can align their choices with that. And to me, that would be extremely motivating to go to work and say, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna mine coal, but we're gonna also create a a, a worker that goes home at the end of the day and says, let, let me tell you what happened at work today that was great. Yeah, wow, that is definitely a changed world. You realize that, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't kidding when you said it, it's cool. It changed the world. <laughs> but wait, wait, I want to share something, and I think this is why. And, and I, you know, I don't know if Mr. Schneider's even alive, but at my when I came out of Hartford and I had trained in the inner city, they were happy at the rural hospital that I had a lot of this, you know, inner city, a variety of experiences. And I sat down with the CEO and my mother at that point is like, I don't think, honey, I don't know if you're ready to supervise a hospital, but um, they took me anyway. And I said, Mr. Schneider, you know, what do you expect from me? And he said, just do the right thing for the patient. So you know what I did? I worked for 10 years with no fear and no cumbersome worry of, well, what if I have to break this rule today? I knew I could because sometimes mm -hmm. the rule didn't align with what the patient needed. 
Um, so I think because I did experience that workplace, I know it's possible. So I want to give a thank, thank you to those folks that created that culture for me back then. Oh, that's really lovely that you've had some, you know, really great positive experiences and also some positive leaders by the sounds of things that helped shape who you are today. Yep. That's great. Very fortunate. That's great. And I guess I want to take the opportunity to say thank you as well for sharing your time and your insights and knowledge and and giving us a little bit of a different kind of, I guess, perspective on things as well from your, the science, you know, behind the speaking end model. Um, If listeners do want to learn more about it, what, what can they do? Where can they go? Or how could they, you know, find out a bit more about the model and, and what, what you're doing with it? Do we sure. wait and see what's the go? <laughs> yeah, sure. So definitely um, follow me on LinkedIn. So Lauren, mm-hmm. Lauren, um, speaking in has its own page. So definitely follow that. And then um, speaking in.org is the website. And um, there's options there. Yeah, just just connect with me on LinkedIn and I'd be happy yeah. to uh, share and see how how a a shift in changing that organizational conversation might might serve you. Yeah, and I want to thank you for for having me on and giving me this opportunity to share uh, an invention. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you very much again. Well, there you go. That was Lauren Mooney, one of the presenters at the 29th Annual Community of Human and Organizational Learning Conference that is happening in June in the States. Out of all the episodes and all of the different people that I've spoken with, There have been some great answers, lots I could identify with when I ask people that one question about what makes an effective leader. And I agree with so many of the answers that I've seen. But for me, Lauren's answer is one I completely align with and I wish that I'd had the opportunity to work for a leader who did everything that she said. So to close this episode, I'm going to part by repeating Lauren's answer and asking you to share with me any brilliant leaders you have had in your time. What made them brilliant? You can answer via LinkedIn or by directly messaging me or even emailing leadingsafely at outlook.com. So here's that answer again. An effective leader works closely with the front line, facilitates change, uncovers fears and motivations, and creates a culture of trust, belonging and safety while promoting truth, freedom, and justice in the workplace. Until next time, stay safe.